Section 23 of On Benefits. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kualada. On Benefits by Seneca. Translated by Aubrey Stewart. Book 7. Chapters 8 to 16. Chapter 8. When then we consider that the mind of the truly wise man has the power over all things and pervades all things, we cannot help declaring that everything is his, although in the estimation of our common law it may chance that he may be rated as possessing no property whatever. It makes a great difference whether we estimate what he owns by the greatness of his mind or by the public register he would pray to be delivered from that procession of everything of which you speak i will not remind you of socrates chrysippus zeno and other great men all the greater however because envy prevents no one from praising the ancients but a short time ago i mentioned demetrius who seems to have been placed by nature in our times that he might prove that we could neither corrupt him nor be corrected by him a man of consummate wisdom though he himself disclaimed it constant to the principles which he professed of an eloquence worthy to deal with the mightiest subjects scorning mere prettiness and verbal niceties but expressing with infinite spirit the ideas which inspired it i doubt not that he was endowed by divine providence with so pure a life and such power of speech in order that our age might neither be without a model nor a reproach had some god wished to give all our wealth to demetrius on the fixed condition that he should not be permitted to give it away i am sure that he would have refused to accept it and would have said chapter nine i do not intend to fasten upon my back a burden like this of which i never can rid myself nor do i nimble and lightly equipped as i am mean to hinder my progress by plunging into deep morass of business transactions why do you offer to me what is the bane of our nations i would not accept it even if i meant to give it away for i see many things which it would not become me to give i should like to place before my eyes the things which fascinate both kings and peoples i wish to behold the price of your blood and your lives first bring before me the trophies of luxury exhibiting them as you please either in succession or which is the better in one mass i shall see the shell of the turtles a foul and slothful brute bought for immense sums and ornamented with the most elaborate care the contrast of colours which is admired in it being obtained by the use of dyes resembling the natural tints i see tables and pieces of wood valued at the price of a senator's estate which are all the more precious the more knots the tree has been twisted into by disease i see crystal vessels 
whose price is enhanced by their fragility for among the ignorant the risk of losing things increase their value instead of lowering it as it ought i see morine cups for luxury would be too cheap if men did not drink to one another out of hollow gems the wine to be afterwards torn up again i see more than one large pearl placed in each ear for now our ears are trained to carry burdens pearls are hung from them in pairs and each pair has other single ones fastened above it this womanish folly is not exaggerated enough for the men of our time unless they hang two or three estates upon each ear i see ladies silk dresses if those deserve to be called dresses which can neither cover their body or their shame when wearing which they can scarcely with a good conscience swear that they are not naked these are imported at a vast expense from nations unknown even to trade in order that our matrons may show as much of their persons in public as they do to their lovers in private chapter ten what are you doing avarice see how many things there are whose prices exceeds that of your beloved gold all those which i have mentioned are more highly esteemed and valued i now wish to reveal your wealth whose praise of gold and silver which dazzle our covetousness by hercules the very earth while she brings forth upon the surface everything that is of use to us has buried these sunk them deep and rest upon them with her whole weight regarding them as pernicious substances and likely to prove the ruin of mankind if brought into the light of day i see that iron is brought out of the same dark pits as gold and silver in order that we may lack neither the means nor the reward of murder thus far we have dealt with actual substances but some forms of wealth deceive our eyes and minds alike i see there letters of credit promissory notes and bonds empty phantoms of property ghosts of sick avarice with which she deceives our minds which delight in unreal fancies for what are these things and what are interest and account books and usury except the names of unnatural developments of human covetousness i might complain of nature for not having hidden gold and silver deeper for not having laid over it a weight too heavy to be removed but what are your documents your sale of time your blood-sucking twelve per cent interest these are evils which we owe to our own will which flow merely from our perverted habit having nothing about them which can be seen or handled mere dreams of empty avarice wretched is he who can take pleasure in the size of the audit book of his estate in great tracts of land cultivated by slaves in chains in huge flocks and herds which require provinces and kingdoms for their pasture ground in a household of servants more in number than some of the most warlike nations or in a private house 
whose extent surpasses that of a large city. After he has carefully reviewed all his wealth, in what it is invested and on what it is spent, and has rendered himself proud by the thoughts of it, let him compare what he has with what he wants. He becomes a poor man at once. Let me go, restore me to these riches of mind. I know the kingdom of wisdom, which is great and stable. I possessed everything, and in such a manner that it belongs to all men nevertheless. Chapter 11 When, therefore, Gaius Caesar offered him to hundred thousand sesterces, he lovingly refused it, thinking it unworthy of himself to boast of having refused so small a sum. Ye gods and goddesses, what a mean mind must the emperor have had if he hoped either to honor or to corrupt him? I must here repeat a proof of his magnanimity. I have heard that when he was expressing his wonder at the folly of Gaius, at supposing that he could be influenced by such a bribe, he said, If he meant to tempt me, he ought to have tried to do so by offering his entire kingdom. Chapter 12 It is possible, then, to give something to the wise man, although all things belong to the wise man. Similarly, though we declare that friends have all things in common, it is nevertheless possible to give something to a friend, for I have not everything in common with a friend in the same manner as with a partner, where one part belongs to him and another to me, but rather as a father and a mother possess their children in common when they have two, not each parent possessing one child, but each possessing both. First of all, I will prove that any chance would be partner of mine has nothing in common with me. And why? Because this community of goods can only exist between wise men who are alone capable of friendship. Other men can neither be friends nor partners one to another. In the next place, things may be owned in common in various ways. The knights' seats in the theater belong to all the Roman knights. Yet of these, the seat which I occupy becomes my own. And if I yield it up to anyone, although I only yield him a thing which we own in common, still I appear to have given him something. Some things belong to certain persons under particular conditions. I have a place among the knights, not to sell or to let or to dwell in, but simply to see the spectacle from. Wherefore I do not tell an untruth when I say that I have a place among the knights' seats. Yet if, when I come into the theater, the knights' seats are full, I both have a seat there by right, because I have the privilege of sitting there, and I have not a seat there, because my seat is occupied by those who share my right to those places. Suppose that the same thing takes place between friends. Whatever our friend possesses, it is common to us, but is the property of him who owns it. I cannot make use of it against his will. You are laughing at me, say you. If what belongs to my friend is mine, I am able to sell it. You are not able, for you are not able to sell your place among the knight's seats, 
and yet they are in common between you and the other knights consequently the fact that you cannot sell a thing or consume it or exchange it for the better or the worse does not prove that it is not yours for that which is yours under certain conditions is yours nevertheless chapter thirteen i have received but certainly not less not to detain you longer than is necessary a benefit can be no more than a benefit but the means employed to convey benefits may be both greater and more numerous i mean those things by which kindness expresses and gives vent to itself like lovers whose many kisses and close embraces do not increase their love but give it play chapter fourteen the next question which arises has been thoroughly threshed out in the former books so here it shall only be touched on shortly for the arguments which have been used for other cases can be transferred to it the question is whether one who has done everything in his power to return a benefit has returned it you may know says our adversary that he has not returned it because he did everything in his power to return it it is evident therefore that he did not do that which he did not have an opportunity of doing a man who searches everywhere for his creditor without finding him does not thereby pay him what he owes some are in such a position that it is their duty to effect something material in the case of others to have done all in their power to effect it is as good as effecting it if a physician has done all in his power to heal his patient he has performed his duty an advocate who employs his whole powers of eloquence on his client's behalf performs his duty even though his client be convicted the generalship even of a beaten commander is praised if he has prudently laboriously and courageously exercised his functions your friend has done all in his power to return your kindness but your good fortune stood in his way no adversity befell you in which he could prove the truth of his friendship he could not give you money when you were rich or nurse you when you were in health or help you when you were succeeding yet he repaid your kindness even though you did not receive a benefit from him moreover this man being always eager and on the watch for an opportunity of doing this as he has expended much anxiety and much trouble upon it has really done more than he who quickly had an opportunity of repaying your kindness the case of adepter is not the same for it is not enough for him to have tried to find the money unless he pays it in his case a hard creditor stands over him who will not let a single day pass without charging him interest in yours there is a most kind friend who seeing you busy troubled and anxious would say dismiss this trouble from thy breast leave off disturbing yourself i have received from you all that i wish you wrong me if you suppose that i want anything further you have fully repaid me in intention tell me says our adversary 
If he had repaid the benefit, you would say that he had returned your kindness. Is then he who repays it in the same position as he who does not repay it? On the other hand, consider this: if he had forgotten the benefit which he had received, if he had not even attempted to be grateful, you would say that he had not returned the kindness. But this man has laboured. Day and night, to the neglect of all his other duties, in his devoted care, to let no opportunity of proving his gratitude escape him, is then he who took no pains to return a kindness to be classed with this man who never ceased to take pains? You are unjust if you require a material payment from me when you see that I am not wanting in intention. Chapter Sixteen. In short, suppose that when you are taken captive, I have borrowed money, made over my property as security to my creditor, that I have sailed in a stormy winter season along coasts swarming with pirates, that I have braved all the perils which necessarily attend a voyage, even on a peaceful sea, that I have wandered. Through all wilderness, seeking for those men whom all others flee from, and that when I have at length reached the pirates, someone else has already ransomed you. Will you say that I have not returned your kindness? Even if during this voyage I have lost by shipwreck the money that I had raised to save you, even if I myself have fallen into the prison from which I sought to release you. Will you say that I have not returned your kindness? No, by Hercules, the Athenians call Harmodius and Aristogiton tyrannicides. The hand of Mercius, which he left on the enemy's altar, was equivalent to the death of Porcina. And valor struggling against fortune is always illustrious, even if it falls short of accomplishing its design. He who watches each opportunity as it passes and tries to avail himself of one after another, does more to show his gratitude than he whom the first opportunity enabled to be grateful without any trouble whatever. But says our adversary, he gave you two things: material help and kindly feeling. You therefore owe him too. You might justly say this to one who returns your kindly feeling without troubling himself further. This man is really in your debt, but you cannot say so of one who wishes to repay you, who struggles and leaves no stone unturned to do so. For as far as in him lies, he repays you in both kinds. In the next place, counting is not always a true test. Sometimes one thing is equivalent to two. Consequently, so intense and ardent a wish to repay takes the place of a material payment. Indeed, if a feeling of gratitude has no value in repaying a kindness without giving something material, then no one can be grateful to the gods, whom we can repay by gratitude alone. We cannot, says our adversary. Give the gods anything else? Well, but if I am not able to give this man, whose kindness I am bound to return, anything beside my gratitude, 
Why should that which is all that I can bestow on a god be insufficient to prove my gratitude towards a man? Chapter sixteen. If, however, you ask me what I really think and wish me to give a definite answer, I should say that the one party ought to consider his benefit to have been returned, while the other ought to feel that he had not returned it. The one should release his friend from the debt. The other should hold himself bound to pay it. The one should say, "I have received." The other should answer, "I owe." In our whole investigation, we ought to look entirely to the public good. We ought to prevent the ungrateful having any excuses in which they can take refuge, and under cover of which they can disown their debts. I have done all in my power," say you. Well. Keep on doing so still. Do you suppose that our ancestors were so foolish as not to understand that it is most unjust that a man who has wasted the money which he received from his creditor on debauchery or gambling should be classed with one who had lost his own property as well as that of others in a fire by robbery or some sadder mischance? They would take no excuse. That men might understand that they were always bound to keep their word, it was thought better that even a good excuse should not be accepted from a few persons, than that all men should be led to try to make excuses. You say that you have done all in your power to repay your debt. This ought to be enough for your friend, but not enough for you. He to whom you owe a kindness. Is unworthy of gratitude if he lets all your anxious care and trouble to repay it go for nothing, and so too, if your friend takes your good will as a repayment, you are ungrateful if you are not all the more eager to feel the obligation of the debt which he has forgiven you. Do not snap up his receipt, or call witnesses to prove it. Rather, seek opportunities for repaying not less than before. Repay the one man because he asks for repayment, the other because he forgives you your debt, the one because he is good, the other because he is bad. You need not, therefore, think that you have anything to do with the question whether a man be bound to repay the benefit which he has received from a wise man. If that man has ceased. To be wise and has turned into a bad man, you would return a deficit which you had received from a wise man. You would return a loan even to a bad man. What grounds have you for not returning a benefit also? Because he had changed, ought he to change you? What if you had received anything from a man when healthy? Would you not return it to him when he was sick? Though we always are more bound to treat our friends with more kindness when they are ailing, so too this man is sick in his mind. We ought to help him and bear with him. Folly is a disease of the mind. End of section twenty-three, book seven, chapters eight to sixteen. Recorded by Falada.